We'll just jump right in. How you guys doing tonight? Yes, I'm so pumped to be at age 12 tonight. Listen, I want us to have a conversation. I want us to have a conversation tonight that I believe is uh, actually here in a moment going to get a little heavy. It's going to get a little below the surface. It's going to get a little heavy. And I want to prepare you for that right away up front. Um, we are starting a new series this week called Kings. Now, we see these different kings in the Old Testament, and in these kings in the Old Testament, we see the, the major kings, these great kings like Saul and David and Solomon, and then, uh, and then there's also some kings that you don't really get to hear a lot about. And so we decided to do this series on kings to pick out some of these amazing kings from the Old Testament that God used in unbelievable ways to impact the world, the community, and the people of God to kind of extract some truth from that that can help us where we're at in our lives right now. And so that is where we're going in this series. And so earlier this year, we did a series called Goliath Must Fall. We talked about David, and we hit some of these major kings. But oftentimes, these minor kings get brushed over. And we believe that we want to teach you guys the whole of the Bible. We want you to know all of the stories and things that, that God would have teach us through his word and in these stories. And so tonight, what I want to do is <clears throat> I want to answer a question for you. In fact, I believe it's there in your notes. If it's not, you can write it in there. You can take notes. Um, and here's the question I want you to, you to write down. I actually got up here on the screen. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? See, here's the truth. Here's the truth. The truth is, is that there are times in our life when situations come up and, and we just don't know what to do. We feel helpless. We feel disoriented. We feel overwhelmed and, and paralyzed by whatever the situation has happened in our life. I can think of many situations in my life where this has been the case. In fact, several years ago, I got a call from my parents or from my mom. She said, uh, you need to come to the hospital right now. Your dad was attacked at work today and stabbed. Now, my dad is my hero. My dad is the kindest, most loving, humble person I've ever met in my entire life. He is amazing. And I love my dad with all of my heart. And I'm telling you right now, when I got that call, my heart sunk. See, my dad was over, uh, work, had worked at a company where he oversaw a lot, of, a lot of employees, and one of his employees had some mental illness. He was 6'5", 265 pounds, and he was, at the coffee, he was at the coffee maker one morning making some coffee, the guy was, and something just snapped in his head. He pulled out a nine-inch knife, walked into my dad's office, and started trying to kill my dad. And my dad got pinned against the wall, and he was in a chair, and he was sitting in the chair, and he's pinned against the wall, and the guy is trying to jab the knife in him, and he's fighting and screaming with all of his, 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 his everything that he has to stay alive, and he finally falls on the floor and underneath, underneath his, his desk, and he can't go anywhere because he's pinned in by the desk, so he's kicking up at the guy, and the guy's stabbing down at my dad. He's stabbing my dad, and, uh, and, and just a, a horrific scene, a horrific situation. And I didn't know what I was going to be walking into. I didn't know if my dad was going to live. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I'll be honest with you, in that moment, like, I felt helpless. Like, what do, what do I do? I, I don't know what to do. I mean, in that moment, there's, there's nothing I can do. Like, what happens when you're in a moment and you don't know what to do? I'll never forget two years ago. 
supposed to be one of the most amazing days of your life when you have a kid. My wife goes into labor and we're so excited about the opportunity to meet our daughter for the first time. And, and we're just, we're pumped and, and, and we go in there and we're like, man, this is just going to be one of those days. And all of our, our family's in town and they're staying at the hospital and the labor keeps dragging on and dragging on and dragging on. And then after about 48 hours of being in labor, they decide to rush her back for a C-section. And they go in and they, they, they cut her open to give her a C-section. And as they pull out the placenta, it had she had a condition called placenta creta that we didn't know about where it actually embedded into the uterus wall. And so when they went to pull it out, it began to tear her uterus and she began to bleed profusely. And, and, and the doctors need to stop the blood or she's going to bleed to death. And so I'm in the room and we're excited because there's our baby. And then the next thing you know, they're rushing me out of the room into this other room, this side room. And I'm in there with my little girl who I've just seen for the first time. And they're, they're working on her and, and all this. And she's crying. And I'm kind of torn in this emotion of, man, like she's so beautiful and this is such a special moment. But at the same time, I'm freaking out because the doctors are freaking out because I don't know if my wife's going to make it. And, and I'm like in this desperate, helpless situation. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I remember when I was in high school, 10th grade, we had just finished our state baseball semifinal game. And we won, and we were so excited. And the coach huddled us over in the corner. And he said, guys, uh, <clears throat> something happened at school today that I need to tell you guys about. Two students were killed in a car accident headed to school this morning. Now, when you hear that kind of news, it strikes fear in your heart, but it also brings about the reality of, yeah, that's distant from me. I've never experienced anything like that before, and so it's probably someone I don't know. And they said, and Sharon Toma and Emily Parker passed away. Sharon and Emily had went to school with me most of my school career, and now we're sophomores in high school. I had three or four classes with these girls. We were super close, super tight. I sat at lunch with Sharon every day at school. She was one of my best girlfriends. And I'll be honest, man, it was one of the lowest points of my life. I was broken. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to react. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And the truth is, is that in our lives, we have these moments. Every one of us will have these moments if you haven't already had them, right? This is not a, like, when will you ha will this happen? This is a matter of, or if this is going to happen. This is a matter of just when is it going to happen? And maybe for you, you can relate to one of the stories that I just mentioned. Or maybe for you, it is you don't know what to do because mom and dad are splitting up or there's distance between them or they're talking divorce and, and you feel helpless in the situation and, and, and all the stuff that you're going to be dragged into and who am I going to live with and how is this going to play out? What do I do in this moment? Or man, I've made some terrible decisions in my life and I've fumbled the ball in, in a lot of areas of my life and as a result of that and because of my decisions, I, I feel like I put myself and I back myself against the wall and I just don't know what to do and and man, I'm a senior and I'm graduating and I don't know where I want to, I don't, I don't know what I want to be and I don't know what college I want to go to and all of this pressure is there and, and what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm in this moment and I know that like I should have some clarity, but I don't have some clarity. And the truth is, is that there's many situations like these that we will face in our lives day in and day out. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? What I love about the Bible is that the Bible is not silent on the most intimate, vulnerable things that we deal with in our life. That God gives us instruction in his word to meet us right where we're at, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through. 
And tonight we're going to talk about a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, Jingo, that's, a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> his, I don't know what his parents were thinking. Anyways, and, uh, King Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat uh, is, is, is the king, and he's facing this unbelievable situation, and he has this what am I supposed to do now moment. And what's cool about what happens in the scripture is, is that we see how people respond in a moment. Godly men, godly women respond in a moment, and they literally from the pages of the Bible can be mentors to us in our lives to show us how we should respond in those moments when we don't know what to do. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. And so if you got your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It is on page 445 in your uh, worship center Bible, one under your chair there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one, make that one your own, write your name in it. But it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 1. Now before we do, I want to give you guys just a little bit of a history lesson. Now I know you've been in school all day and you're playing, ugh, history. But this is, what, this is my plan. My plan is I want to give you a five-minute, five to six-minute walkthrough of the entire history of the Old Testament. I know, that sounds like a lot, right? Literally, the entire Old Testament, I'm going to walk through. Now, the history of the Old Testament is found between Genesis and 2 Chronicles. All of the books that were written after 2 Chronicles actually happened during the time frame of Genesis to 2 Chronicles. All right, There were prophets and things like that that were written during the time frame of this. And I want to walk you through this just so you can kind of get a picture in your head of what's going on in this moment with Jehoshaphat. And you can see a little bit of this history. So lock in, pay attention. You might learn something. It's going to be awesome. So check it out. First off, we start in the book of Genesis. This is what the Bible opens with. The Bible opens with God creating everything, God creating as a part of creating everything, the chief of his creation, man, you and me creating us in his image. Adam and Eve, he places them in the garden. Genesis also tells us about the fall and how man fell as a result of sin. God gave them a choice in the garden to choose good or choose evil, to obey or disobey, and Adam and Eve chose disobedience obedience and God did that because he wanted to show his love in that and God allowed them to show their love back to him and as a result of that the fall entered the world and then the rest of the book of Genesis gives us stories like Noah and 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 and, and uh, the Tower of Babel and some of this kind of stuff you can go read the book of Genesis it is awesome and then it gets us to the patriarchs it gets us to a guy by the name of Abraham, which God tells Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to multiply your people, and from your descendants, I'm going to raise up the Messiah. I'm going to raise up the one true king. And not only that, I want you to leave your homeland, and I'm going to take you to this land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And it is going to be a land that your family is going to inherit for their lives. And so this happens with Abraham. And Abraham has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob, uh, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And this is where you get the Israelites, the people of God. Jacob had 12 sons. His 12 sons, their descendants, are known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Now the book of Genesis ends with a famine that has happened in the land of, of, of Israel where God has called Abraham to, the land of Canaan it's called at that time, before it's called Israel. And what happens is, is that the people, uh, the people of God, uh, Jacob and his, and his sons, they go to Egypt where the famine has not taken place. And so they're in Egypt, uh, or the famine's taken place, but they've stored up food. So they're in Egypt. They begin to settle in Egypt. After 30 years of being in Egypt, 
Pharaoh starts getting a little nervous about the people of God being in his land. He gets nervous because God's favor's on them. They're multiplying. They're having children. <clears throat> their, 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 their crops are growing. Their, their animals are growing. Things are happening, and Pharaoh begins to get fearful of the people of God. So what he decides to do is he decides to throw them into slavery. And that brings us to the book of Exodus. They are in Exodus or in slavery. And they're in slavery for 400 years. They're crying out to God, and God raises up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses, then uh, uh, God uses Moses to deliver the people of God. And if you've ever heard this story before where they cross the Red Sea, God parts it, and they cross through, and the Egyptian army comes through, and the Red Sea closes behind them and wipes out the Egyptian army. And then over the next years, Moses, uh, God gives Moses the law, things like the Ten Commandments, and those are given in the book of Exodus. God gives Moses some priestly laws as well, and he writes those down, and that's called Leviticus. And then God tells Moses, number all the tribes, number all the people. That is called numbers. Pretty cool, isn't it? And, uh, and then Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, actually Deuteronomy means the second law or the second reading of the law. And so Deuteronomy is literally just a copying down or recopying down of many of the laws that were given through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And that closes out the first five books of, of the Bible and uh, known as the Torah or the books of Moses. Then what happens is, is that Moses, uh, because of something that he did, was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land, the land that God had promised them. So after Moses dies, God raises up a guy by the name of Joshua. Joshua then leads the Israelites, the 12 tribes of Israel, across the Jordan River into the promised land. They walk around the city of Jericho. The walls of Jericho fall down. They defeat that city, and they begin to take over the land, and the people of God take over the land, and they settle in this land that God has promised them. And the 12 tribes settle in different areas. Judah and Beth and uh, Judah and uh, uh, the, tri the tribe of Judah and, and uh, the tribe of Benjamin settle in the south, and the other ten kind of literally just stack up above them in, in this in this area. Now, what happens is is that after Joshua dies and leaves in the land, there's not a real leader, and God is kind of leading and governing things, and so there's judges in the land, these people who kind of govern the land for God, these judges that, that God calls out and puts in place, and so there's these judges in the land, and what happens is during this time, this is the low point of Israel's history, the people of God's history. What happens during this time is that people begin to do things that they saw right in their own eyes. And after a while, things aren't working out for them. The book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. Then what happens is, is that the people begin to ask for a king. They see all the other nations. Hey, things aren't working out for us, but as I look out over all the other nations, all the other nations have a king. Literally what they were saying is, God, we're not content with you being our king. We want a king like all of the pagan lands have. And so they asked God for a king. And God says, you know what? I will give you what you want. And he does. So God calls a prophet by the name of Samuel, and Samuel, which is where we get 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and Samuel goes and he anoints a guy that God tells him to anoint king, which is the first king of Israel, Saul. The book of 1 Samuel is all about the kingship of Saul and his kingdom and him being alive. Now we see David in 1 Samuel. This is actually in 1 Samuel where David kills Goliath, but David is not king yet. Saul becomes disobedient to God, and God then takes his favor off of Saul and tells Samuel to go and anoint another king, King David. Now, when David is anointed king, it is 17 years later before David actually becomes king. He spends most of that time running from Saul, who's trying to kill him. 
And so 2 Samuel is all about David's kingship. Then David has a son by the name of Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote Song of Solomon. Uh, Solomon is considered the, the, the wisest man that ever lived. And the first part of the first half of 1 Kings is the story of Solomon's reign. Solomon is also the one who built the temple. Then at the end of Solomon's reign, when Solomon died, there was a power struggle that began to happen. And when this power struggle happened, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, decided that he was going to be a punk and started putting a lot of pressure on the other tribes. And as a result of this, he split the kingdom. And a guy by the name of Jeroboam became the king of what's called Israel, the northern kingdom. And, the last, and, and, and there were ten tribes in that kingdom. And then Judah and, and Benjamin, the two southern kingdoms, became known as the southern kingdom. And they were, and they were called Judah. And so now you have two kingdoms, a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. Judah at the bottom and, uh, and uh, Israel at the top. In fact, I got a picture for you. I want to put them on the straight. Oh, you got it already here. And so there's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom. Okay, I want you to picture what's going on here. During this, during, and, until the fall of these kingdoms, when the Assyrians came in and defeat the northern kingdom and the Babylonians later come in and take over the southern kingdom, during this time, there are 20 kings over the next years, 20 kings that are over the northern kingdom. Every single one of them are wicked and bad. There are 20 kings in the southern kingdoms over the next time period as well. Eight of them are good and 12 of them are bad. We are going to, over the next three weeks, look at three of the good kings in the southern kingdom. Why did you show us this? Why did you tell us this? I'm about to show you why. Jehoshaphat is the great-grandson of Rehoboam, the guy who split the kingdoms. And he is now, put that back up on the screen if you don't mind. So he is now the king of the southern kingdom. The Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom, they cannot stand the southern kingdom. It's kind of like in the south where people are like, oh, the south will rise again type of people, right? These people are like, the north will rise again, right? Like they wanted to get preeminence. They wanted to have the power. But the southern kingdom kind of had the power, even though it was only two tribes. So the people in Israel couldn't stand them. Not only that, but the Philistines, over here you see uh, right over here on this side, the Philistines were on the western side of the southern kingdom. The Philistines were an enemy of the people of God for years and years and years. If you've ever heard the story of Samson, Samson was always battling, the big strong guy. He was always battling the Philistines all throughout the judges. David kills Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine warrior. And so the Philistines were always attacking him. So think about this. He has an enemy to the north. He has an enemy to the west. And he's always feeling pressure that he's going to be attacked. And then we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want you to see what it says. Leave that up if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, well, after the scripture, I'll put, it back. put that back up. It says this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Josephat. Put that picture back up on the screen if you can. I want you to notice what it says. It says that the Ammonites, these people over here, and the Moabites and some of the Meunites became in to attack them. So think about this. Are you kidding me? I've got enemies to my north. I've got enemies to my west. And now the people that are right across the Dead Sea, now these people are coming over to attack me as well. I'm getting attacked from all angles. I am surrounded. And there's no way for me to get help. Can you imagine what Jehoshaphat must be thinking? He's got the pressure of leading. He's got the pressure of all these people trying to attack him and closing and, and, and all these people that are closing in on him. And I love what, how verse 3 uh, starts out, and it says this. And it says, alarmed. That's how it starts. 
alarmed. Of course he was alarmed. He was afraid. He was worried. He's, he's asking the question, what do I do now? I can't flee to the north. Those people hate me. They'll kill me. I can't flee to the west. Those people hate me. They'll kill me. What am I supposed to do? And this is what I've found when we're facing situations that are difficult, situations that are tough. We do one of two things. We either, one, we either try to outwar the enemy, or we, two, we try to outrun the enemy. We try to fight or we try to flight. That's what happens. When we're faced with a situation that seems so difficult that we cannot get, get by it, we either, it's either like, hey, you're all soldiers. Grab your wives, grab your kids, grab your guns. We're going to battle. It's like this. We try to take things into our own hands. We try to make it happen. Or we get depressed. We run. I mean, I can imagine that Jehoshaphat was like, listen, we're outnumbered, we're outgunned, there's no way we can win this. He could have balled up in a ball on the floor, stuck his thumb in his mouth, and cried until they came and took him out. I think this is the attitudes that we have, right? When you're going through difficult times, that's what happens. When you're going through these moments, it is like, man, you want to push against, you, you want to fight, you get angry. Or you just get upset and you cower and you fall apart. And I love what Jehoshaphat did. I want you to see it. He didn't do either. It says it's alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Notice what he did. When he was in the midst of this, he didn't run and he didn't try to fight. He went to God. He went to God. And then keep going and notice what it says. Then the people of Judah came together seeking help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. I want you to think about this just for a minute. There's a war that's about to go down. These people are about to get crushed and killed. Jehoshaphat calls all of Judah together, the whole southern kingdom. And it says people came from all the towns to gather together. And can you imagine these people are coming and they're freaking out too. And they're looking at Jehoshaphat, their leader, their king, and they're saying, all right, king, what do we do now? And what's interesting is, is that Jehoshaphat doesn't give them some kind of war plan. He doesn't give them words of encouragement. He doesn't, he doesn't rally the troops. This is what he does. Notice. He prays. He prays. He says this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms and nations. In other words, I'm the king of Judah, but you are the king of kings. You're the king over all nations. You're on the throne. You're in power. Then he goes on and he says, he says, power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. For we have no power to face the vast army that is attacking us. I don't know if you've ever felt this way before. If you've ever been in a moment like what I mentioned earlier where you just feel powerless and helpless. And this is what he's saying. Listen, we are powerless. We're helpless in these moments. When you're going through these what do I do moments, you are powerless. There's nothing that you can do. But notice what he says. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's in your notes if you want to write that down. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Listen, whatever the situation is, no matter how challenging, 
no matter the mountain that's before you. What he's saying here is, is, man, fix your eyes on him. That what do you do in the midst of, 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 of all of this? What do you do when you don't have an answer? What do you do when you don't know what to do? You fix your eyes on him. You turn to him. That is exactly what he did in this moment. People come to me all the time and for counseling or want to talk about some heavy, difficult situations in their life. And here's the truth. The truth is, is that they don't need wisdom. They don't need me to say something crafty and clever. They need Jesus. They need God. They need God to work in that situation. In fact, I like to tell people, I like to say this. I'm like, hey, listen, before you come to me, go to God. Before you come to me, go to God because I'm not your Savior. He's your Savior. That's who he is. And this is what I know right now. Decula High School students are asking, what do I do now? Two students, brothers killed in a car accident just this past week. Friends. Family members, brothers, sons. And just the week before that, same school, a girl passes away for suicide. And their school's reeling right now. They're hurt. People are asking, what do we, what do, we do? What do we do now? How do, we, how do we handle this situation? I don't know how to deal in these moments. What do I say? And the truth is, is that it, it is only at the feet of Jesus, it is only looking to him who is the true comforter, the prince of peace. He's the one who brings comfort. He's the one who brings peace. He's the one who brings healing in these difficult, painful situations. And that's what it just Jehoshaphat did in this moment. He says, man, all this stuff's going on around me. I don't know the answers, but I know he's the answer. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to look to him. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to look to him. And whatever you're dealing with in your life, no matter what mountain looks like it looks like in front of you, what I can tell you is, is that if you turn your eyes to him, that is where you find hope. That is where you find help. That is where you find peace. When my wife was in that hospital room. And I sat down in a chair and I sank my face into my hands and I cried out to God. When I found out my dad was in the hospital and I didn't know what to do. I just went to God. I said, God, I don't know what to do in this moment. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm scared. God, I don't know, but all I know to do is look to you. I can't imagine what it must be like for people who are trying to deal with and cope through things without having a relationship with the one who can truly help them and walk them through those things in their life. So this prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and he says this, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. 
Listen, we have battles all around us. We have things all around us, and we want to try to fight. We want to do it, but the battle isn't yours. It's God's. And when we look to him, it gives him an opportunity to fight for us. It gives him an opportunity to bring peace and comfort to us and for us. In verse 17, it says this, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, see the deliverance of the the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And I love this line, go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And listen, when you look to him, sometimes you've ever been in those moments where you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to deal But when it's time to face tomorrow, you need to know and have confidence that if you look to him, the Lord will be with you. And then I want you to hear, I want you to see what happens. Church broke out. That's what happened. I want you to look what it says. It says, as they begin to sing and praise, the Lord ambushes the enemies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. And they were invading Jerusalem and, and, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And they finished slaughtering the men of Seir. They helped destroy one another. In other words, this is what happens. The guys are mounting up the battle to come and attack Judah. And they're just all pulled together. And they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Uh, God said he's going to take care of this thing. And, and you know, we, we trust God. We trust that he's going to do that. I know they got weapons and, and we're not really ready to fight. So we're just going to trust God in this. And, and so they just start having a worship service. They start singing and praising God. And this is what's interesting about it they didn't sing and praise God after the victory was won they sang and praised God right in the midst of the trial and turmoil that they were dealing with sometimes it's hard to praise God when things aren't going your way when things are tough and that's what they did and they're singing and they're praising the Lord and God confused the enemies and the enemies began attacking and fighting each other and they destroyed themselves and then He closes with this in verse 30. I love this. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. North, west, east, every side. I don't know how many of you are looking for peace and rest, but I'm telling you, that's where it starts. I want to show you there's three things There's three things that happen in the scripture that I want to back up to, and we'll close out. The first is this in verse 4. I want you to notice it says, and all Judah came together. All Judah came together. In the midst of these moments, man, it is so important for the church to come together, for us to come together. And that's what we do. We are going to come together as a church, and we're going to support Dekula High School. And we have been supporting Dekula High School. And if something happens at your high school, we're going to come around and we're going to do that. And I know that some of you have been praying for Dekula and you've been doing stuff to kind of come around and rally around Dekula. Whatever situation you're in. And this is what I know. You cannot, you cannot do life on your own. This is why we do life groups. It's why we meet every week at age 12. There's something powerful about coming together. There's something encouraging about coming together. There's something about coming together that says, you know what, I'm not alone. I've got an army of people that have my back. But here's the deal. It's not just about coming together because you can come together and get in a bunch of trouble. You know what I'm saying? You got friends like that? You get together with them and it ain't going anywhere, right? Like in order for something significant to happen, notice what it says that they do next. In verse 4 and verse 12, they sought God and they prayed. Seek God and pray. Seek God and pray. So we come together, we seek God and we pray. That's what we do here. We seek God and we pray. We we bring our requests to him. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe that God is leading us into an interesting season. 
When I look around, I see the, the, the mountain of, of things around us that seem pretty difficult. Things like the fact that there are tens of thousands of students around us that don't know Jesus, that are walking around helpless, people that are your friends, people in your schools. And I want to challenge you to go after that. Go after prayer. In fact, from 6 to 6.30 every week, we're going to have a team of people here praying, students that want to come at 6 o'clock to pray, to pray over the chairs in the room, to pray over people in our ministry. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe God moves when people look to him and they pray. Nothing in this room is significant apart from God moving. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you. If you're here and you say, man, you know, I want to go a little deeper. I want to pray for my friends. I want to pray for this ministry. I want to pray for what God's doing. Come early and pray. Seek after his face. If you don't spend a personal time with God and spend some time praying every day, start praying and spending time with him. We are raising the intensity and intimacy when it comes to prayer and seeking after God's face right now in this ministry. In fact, if you're a student here, you are going to be prayed for by name every week. Every chair that is in this room has been prayed over today multiple times by multiple people. We believe in the power of prayer. And the third thing we see that they did is they, they worshiped and they praised. And that's another reason why we come here. We come here to worship and praise. And I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're at Dekula High School or you're going through something painful and difficult in your life, don't wait until the end of it to worship and pray. As you go to God and seek Him, man, spend some time worshiping and praising then. Put a song, put Good, Good Father on there. That song we just sang. Tell God how good he is, how amazing he is. I love in that song, it talks about when you don't have the answers, and we don't have the answers, we know that he's the answer. And begin worshiping and praising him. So I want to challenge you with that tonight, students. I want to challenge you to raise the intensity of prayer in your life. I want to challenge you to come together regularly and frequently. And I want to challenge you to worship and praise him in spirit and truth with all that you have. Tonight's a little heavier than we normally get as far as dealing with some of the heavy stuff in life. But the truth is there's some people that are hurting in this room. And we're going to go into a song right now as the band comes up. And as they come up, they're going to lead us in a song. And it's going to be a time for us to worship and praise. And if you're here and you go to Decula High School, I'm going to ask you just to go ahead and stand up. And uh, come on down here to the front because we're going to pray over you as well. So we're going to worship and praise and we're going to pray. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's fine. I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. But if you go to Kula High School and you say, man, I'd love to have the family of God pray over me. You guys just come down here to the front and stand up here at the front. And students, uh, and uh, if you know one of these students that are coming up here, or if you're like, you know what, I feel like I need to be a prayer warrior for Dekula now, um, and, and you want to come up here around these, that's great. I think it would be cool to have the family of God coming around here. So if you guys want to come up, y'all can come up around them to pray over them. And I'm going to pray for them. If you don't want to get out of your seat, you can just hold your hands out towards them and pray for them as I pray. We're just going to spend some time worshiping and praising him and praying over Dekula and what's going on there. So, Father, in these moments, Lord, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to do, God, we don't know what to say, God, all we know is when we don't know what to do, we turn our eyes to you. We put our attention on you, God. We don't know how to bring healing in this situation, but, God, we're confident that you do. God, we know your word tells us that you bring a peace that passes all understanding. And God, I pray for that right now over these students that go to Decula and for Decula High School. Would you bring the peace that passes all understanding to this school and over these people? I know people are hurting. 
God, I pray for, for these two brothers and their, their mom and their dad right now. I can't imagine what it must be like to lose not only one son, but both of your sons. I pray for their sister right now, their younger sister. God, I can't imagine the questions that are going through her head. God, would you just bring your loving arms around that family, bring comfort and peace. God, I want to pray right now, Lord, for, for uh, uh, Skylar's family and for her friends and for the Browns' friends. God, that you would bring healing and comfort and peace in those situations. And, Lord, that, that they would look to you as Jehoshaphat did. God, we thank you for this story in your word of someone who's facing tremendous trials in his life when it seems like the hill is too high to climb. And the truth is, as Jehoshaphat says, he has no power. He's helpless, and so are we. God, it is only in your strength, it is only in your power that we are able to have victory. It's only in your power and your strength that we are able to overcome. It is only in your power and your strength that we are able to, to get through times like these. So God, would you pour out your power and strength in this place? Bring healing, Lord.